All right, so we're wrapping up our series, Heroes, today, and I thought, you know, there could, probably couldn't be a better way to wrap it up than on Father's Day, and so we, uh, you know, we give away a Mother's Day basket, but there's no way we're giving the dudes a basket, so we have a bucket for the fathers, a bucket, not a basket, and there's WD-40, how could you go wrong? This is going to be amazing. All right, who's the lucky father in here? Eric Most! I'm just kidding you. <laughs> Someone actually put my name in there. That was not me. Oh, come on. Where's John? You put them all in there. They're all Eric Most. Wrong one. Hold on. Oh, my gosh. All right, there we go. That's what we call the life of the church. Yeah, thanks, Jafili. I see you back there. Eddie Neverett. Eddie, come on up here, buddy. <laughs> Congratulations, Eddie. Happy Father's Day to you. You will make good use of that stuff, man. <laughs> All right, well, as we wrap up this series, um, in talking about heroes, uh, I would imagine for some of you, uh, you, would, you would probably say, man, if, if we were asking you who your heroes were, you might mention it, my, my dad was one of my heroes. Um, and it's kind of interesting because as our culture goes, um, that is becoming less and less the case. Because I would imagine... Um, for many of you, that's not the case. That, you know, you would say, I, I wish, because I think everybody in the room, everybody watching, everybody who's ever probably ever been alive would have loved to have said, my dad was my hero. But it's becoming increasingly so that that's not necessarily the case. And if that is you here this morning, you're one of the lucky ones. And so today, I kind of wanted to be able to drill down specifically uh, and talk to the dads. Now, if you're here and you're female, you, there are a lot of things that you can peel off and apply to your life today, and I hope that you will. But I want to drill down and talk specifically to dads and to those men who hope to be dads someday. Because as, as, as we drill down on this, I'm telling you, um, I... I I think our culture is suffering as a, in regards to, to, to fatherhood and, uh, and the ramifications and the consequences of dads not actually stepping into what God has called them to do. And for some of you, it's kind of like, you know, oh, I'd love to be a great dad, you know, and I don't think any dads like set out to be, I want to be the most horrible dad on the planet. I don't think any dad ever sets out to be that. But sometimes, and, and increasingly so, if you haven't had that modeled for you, you don't even know what it looks like. How can I model for my children something I've never seen? That's hard to do. That, that, it's hard to create something that just has never been a part of your life and you've never seen it. It's never been modeled for you, and yet, you know, you know, this preacher gets up and says, hey, I want you to, to model this for your children. You're like, well, that's great. How? So that's kind of what I want to drill down on today, 
And uh, so today's message is kind of drilled specifically uh, for fathers and those that hope to be fathers. And uh, it, it's pretty simple. It's kind of a bullet. It's not really even a sermon. It's, it's kind of a bullet point message, which it has the word bullet in it. And we love bullets. So this should be, this should be good. All right. So if, you know, I think something that is helpful is something that I would call eulogy values. Eulogy values. In other words, end of life. Start there and let's work backwards. And eulogy values, dads, what do you want to say to those closest to you and what do you want them to say about you when you're on your deathbed? When that time comes, what is it that you and, and, and the family is gathered around you, dads, what is it that you want to say to your family, to those that are closest to you? Do you want to say, I am so sorry that I didn't, prioritize you. I, I am so sorry that I was gone. I, I am so sorry that money was more important to me than a relationship with you. I, I'm so sorry that I didn't, I didn't put spiritual things where I should have. Do you want to get to this place and your words to your family are things of regret? and sorrow, and what is it that you want them to say about you? That we're here because you're our dad, but we don't have a relationship. And why is it that we don't have a relationship? What, what, what caused that? What happened there? See, when we, when we look at eulogy values, it always becomes crystal clear what values we should have. It becomes crystal clear what the priority should be in our life. But if we're going to get to the end goal, we have to take those values and apply them right now. So with eulogy values, you start with the end in mind. In fact, most things... If you ever want to achieve them, you need to start with the end in mind and work back from there, and that will give you clarity as to what you should be doing right now. For me, I want to have adult children who are healthy spiritually and emotionally and who love to spend time with me. My, my goal and what I really want to have happen is, is my children move into their adult years that they would be healthy spiritually, that they wouldn't be legalistic in their view and they wouldn't be permissive in their view, but they would have a healthy view of Jesus and his grace and his mercy, that they wouldn't, they wouldn't think religion is, is just behavior modification. They wouldn't think that religion is just a box that they check, but they would have a deep-rooted relationship with their God. That they would view God in a healthy way. And it spills over into their emotional life, that they would have a healthy view of themselves, that as they view God healthy and they allow God to say to them who they are in them, in, in, in Christ, who, who am I in Christ and what does my heavenly father say about me? And as they know that, they have a healthy view of themselves. So they're healthy spiritually, which spill, spills right into their emotional health that I'm healthy emotionally. Healthy people, spiritually and emotionally, generally make very wise decisions. 
So I want this for my children. That's something that I've had to try and model. If, if, if I want my children to get there, then I want them, in a sense, to say, hey, follow me, and I'll show you. So in a sense, I have to be able to, to view God correctly, and that's going to involve some things that we're going to talk about, and it spills over into what God says about me. And then loving to spend time with me, I mean, that's way better than, well, it's Thanksgiving, and we got to go over there for, you know, mom and dad invited us over, so I guess we got to go. I don't want to go. And for some of you, that's the case. It's tough, isn't it? It's tough. It's like, I don't want to. Eh, I don't really want to. And what's so interesting is kind of like, well, so what's going to get us there? What's going to get us to that end goal? Is there anything in scriptures, as we open the scriptures, is there, is there an example of a really healthy family that we could look at? <laughs> no. So let that be an encouragement for some of you. You would think, well, the Bible should be full of really healthy families, and you can't find a one. Is there an example of a, of a really healthy, you know, well-balanced father? One. Your heavenly father. That's the one you'll find in the scriptures. So what I want to do is I want to kind of drill down on one verse, and, uh, and I want to look at three things that uh, this verse talks about, because I think if we can wrap our minds around these things and, and do those three things, it'll go a long ways to us reaching that end goal. In Micah 6.8, Micah was a prophet that uh, spoke on behalf of God to the nation of Israel in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. And so this was a word from God to the nation of Israel. But these three things that God required of the nation of Israel, we actually see in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, and uh, these values show up uh, there as well. So I wanted to share those with you. Oh, people... The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy. Don't just give people what they deserve. Give them what they don't deserve. To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So I want to look at each one of these and kind of break it apart a little bit, and we could go in a lot of different directions. We're just going to kind of go in, in, in a couple different directions here. So the first one is to do what is right. What, what does that even mean? Because if, it, if it's black and white in the Scripture, that's pretty easy. I don't even need to pray about that. You just do it. But there's so many things, it's like, I don't even know what the right thing to do is, and, and it's gray, and Scripture doesn't speak to it directly, and and it's a wisdom issue, and, I, and I'm struggling, what's the right thing to do? So I would ask this, does it honor God? If it doesn't, you're like, eh, not really. Okay, well, then that's your answer. To honor God in all things. Okay, Eric, what, what does honoring God look like? Let's look at a few different spots. Position. 
Honoring God in position. What do I mean by that? God has called you fathers to take up the mantle of leadership of your home. You are to be the leaders of your homes. And God has called you to be that. And, in, and the thing that I see in our culture is generally guys go in two different directions when it comes to leadership of the home. Many of them, maybe most of them, become passive. They don't lead at all. They let their wife just lead. And generally, she's probably better at it than he is. So, so you just like, you just go ahead. You lead. And I'll become passive. The only problem with that is God has called you and appointed you to lead. And that means step away from being passive and become active in leading your family. The pendulum swings to the other side. And the other thing that I see is dads who, who take on the mantle of leadership, but they have no idea how to lead, and so they take the their, their, their cues from the culture to, to show them how to lead. And so they use their position and they use their power to thumb their wife and to thumb down on their children. That's not Jesus-style leadership. What God has called you to is not that kind of leadership. And it's no wonder why the culture will run away from that, and they should. God has called you to a Jesus-style leadership. You want to know what a Jesus-style leadership is? Jesus could have put his thumb on us. Instead, look at Philippians chapter 2. He humbled himself to the point of what? Going to a cross. He, he came underneath us to serve us. Jesus-style leadership. So what does that look like? To be the spiritual leader of your home spiritually. Fathers, you have been appointed by God to be the spiritual leaders of your home. It is not relegated just to mom. It is not relegated just to your wife. God has called you to be the spiritual leaders of your home. You're like, Eric, I have no idea what that even means. What does that look like? That hasn't been modeled for me. I, I don't know what that looks like. So let me just say a couple of things because we can't, we don't have enough time to drill down on all of this. And so let me plug a couple things. In the fall, we're going to be kicking back off our men's groups. And those are the things that we talk about week in and week out. It is an ongoing conversation of how we get better and better at this. So there's a couple of guys' groups that, that meet here in Gothenburg. Um, one of the groups meets Tuesday mornings um, at 7 o'clock up at the Y. And uh, we're going to be starting another group, uh, a guys group in COZAD in the fall. That will be kicking off in August and September. So if you're not a part of one of those groups, I would love it if you would become a part of one of those groups. And we would have such a response that we would have to add some groups to it. That would be phenomenal. Because this is an ongoing learning experience. What does it mean for me to lead my family spiritually? Well, let's, let me give you a, a few things that I think will get you off on the right foot. Do you pray for your wife? Do you pray with her? 
Do you pray for your children? Do you pray with them? Are you praying before the times that you eat? And, and, and it's not just, hey, it's mealtime, we, we need to pray. No, no, this is actually an opportunity to pause and, and talk to God for just a minute. You're like, <laughs> okay, okay, praying for my wife, I, maybe I could do that. Um, praying for my children, okay, maybe I could do that. Praying with my, ooh, that's asking a lot. Okay, Eric, you just asked me to pray at mealtimes with my, um, <clears throat> I, I don't, uh, see, when you were growing up and in high school when, you know, being a Christian made you a sissy, um, you're going to find out real quick, it's time to man up. So I'm going to challenge you to man up. Being a Christian and walking with Christ, being the spiritual leader of your home is not for the faint of heart. But this shows your family more than anything else. You know what? Thank you for the food and all that. That's great. But what it does, it shows your family what your priorities are. That there's something else on your mind other than just the food that you're about to eat. That you do need to take a pause. And if you're like, I don't know what to even, how do you, how do you, you just talk to God. You know what it's like to talk to an in, another individual. It's the same thing. I'm just going to talk to God like I'm talking to someone else. And I'm just going to share with him something that's on my heart that I hope that my children would want to learn. I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to bear my heart to God. It doesn't have to have all the dressing on it. Trust me, God doesn't even want all the dressing on it. He would rather just hear what's on your heart. How else do you lead your family spiritually? You prioritize the things that are important to God. The thing that Jesus is up to more than anything else in this life is to be the head of the church. The church is his plan A, his only plan to be his vehicle to deliver the message of salvation to the world. So it is what Jesus is up to in this world. And so you show your children how important the church is and, and being involved in the life of the church. You don't tell them, because you, you can tell them all day long, but they will follow what you show them, not what you tell them. At the end of your life, will your children say that the church was important to my dad? That's part of being the spiritual leader of your home. Being a Jesus-style leader in terms of integrity, that you teach your children that you can be trusted, that your word is good, your name to your children and to the community will only be as good as the word that you keep with them. Did you get that? Your name will only be as good in how well you keep your word. So if you tell your children that you are going to do something on a Saturday and, you know, yeah, we're, we're going to do this, and uh, you, you kind of, you promise them, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and then, you know, Saturday morning comes along and your buddy's calling like, hey, we, we had someone back out of the foursome, you want to come and play? 
And you're like, oh, I really would like to do that. Well, I can make up an excuse for my child. Your name is only as good as your word. Get to a place where it bothers you to cheat on your golf score. Get to a place where it bothers you. It bothers you if you cheat on your golf score. That's a good place to be. Honoring God, Jesus-style leadership involves integrity. Morally, integrity and moral are kind of tied, you know, by the hips, but morally is differently, that you would, you would build moral authority. That when you say something to your children, there's something behind it that they would say, but dad, you don't actually model that, so why should I do what you're telling me to do if you aren't doing it yourself? And the answer to that is they shouldn't, and they won't, and it won't lead to the end goal that you want at the end of your life. Build moral authority. And if that is broken, if you're like, well, Eric, that's broken, so, you know, am I out on that? No. Today, you can start building moral authority, and you should, if that's been broken for you. Honoring God in position, being a Jesus-style leader of your family in terms of discipline. Fathers, you are to be the primary discipliners in your home. Don't relegate it to your wife. I guarantee you, the wives, the moms in the room are like, they are exhausted trying to discipline children while, they're, while dad is over here passive, not paying attention. It is, it is your primary responsibility. It doesn't mean mom is, you know, doesn't, can't, doesn't discipline. They, they certainly should. But dads, there is a reason, and it's the only reason I can think of. Jen and I have talked this over and over and over again, and I don't know what it's like in your home, but Jen hated it because her words weighed like 100 pounds, my words weighed 1,000. And as we talked to other couples, they were like, yep, that's the way it is in our house too. And the only reason I can think of that that the, the dad's words weigh 1,000 pounds and the mom's weigh 100 is because God has given that primary responsibility to the guys. So Father, step into that role of disciplining your children. And I'm not talking about behavior modification. Discipline is not behavior modification. I'm not talking about you know, using manipulation, shame, guilt, anger, threatening to have behavior modification, to behave better. Because at the end of the day, if those are the things that you use to motivate your children to behave better so that other people actually have a good view of you because they think you're such a great parent because your children are so well behaved, but your children might actually behave if you use those methods, but their heart is fouled 
And it's becoming more fouled because of those ways that you're trying to get them to behave better. So at the end of the day, discipline is all about managing your children's hearts. And if I'm doing a good job of managing my children's hearts, the behavior will take care of itself. But if I'm crushing their hearts and just doing behavior modification and then I use a spiritual overtone over all of that, there will come a point in time when they're in junior high, high school, college where they're like, I'm out. Because nobody wants to be involved with that. If that's God, no thanks. And that's not a healthy spiritual view. The other thing I would say about discipline is pay attention, fathers. Pay attention. Don't be passive. Pay attention to what your children are doing so that you can catch them in the act. If you know your son or your daughter's up to something, and you know, watch them. If you tell them, not to get up on the back of the couch and jump off like a monkey and you turn your back knowing full well they're gonna jump off the back of the couch like a monkey but you're not willing to watch them and catch them in the act, you can't discipline. Catch them in the act to the best that you can. The other thing um, I would say about discipline is build trust with them. That whatever it is you say you're gonna do, you better be willing to follow through with it. So if you're like, if you don't finish, you know, those three peas, uh, you're gonna have to eat the entire stack of frozen peas. Okay, I would not recommend that unless you're actually willing to make them eat the entire sack of frozen peas. Because you know what you do when you don't follow through? You teach them not to trust you. Dad doesn't really mean it. He actually won't follow through with what he just said he would do. I don't trust him. So you better follow through. So make it a little bit more realistic. Okay? Managing the heart and discipline. All right. Respect, respect. If you, if you want respect, one, discipline, you know, respect is a, is a direct application, is a direct result of good discipline. But the other thing I would say is if you want, you know, you, your children to respect you, if, if you want respect, you need to give respect. And as your children get older and older, and especially into their high school years, I realize they don't have a clue. You're like, but Eric, they don't have, they don't have a clue. I, 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 I understand that. But if you want respect, you begin to give them respect. That you ask them what they think about something. And instead of telling them what they are going to believe because that's what you believe and what you believe is right and so therefore they need to believe it and so you're going to tell them what to believe. Instead, you're asking them what they think about it and you honestly want to listen. And just hear from them. And honestly listening to them and not just telling them what they're going to believe, 
But listening actually shows them respect. And guess what you get in return? They will begin to respect you because you know what? They feel like they're being respected by their parents. If you want respect, give respect. Okay. I think that if you get that right and what is the right thing, that'll go a long ways. Honoring God with mercy Modeling mercy. So I, I got to model mercy, and if my children were younger, they would have been with me, but they are not. So um, just because they're not with you doesn't mean you don't model mercy. If you're a Jesus follower, you should be modeling mercy. So I got to do this yesterday when we went to Hastings to watch Shane's football game, which they broke the scoring record and crushed the East 59 to what, 14 or something like that? Yeah, it was awesome. That was a lot of fun. Um, but it was blazing hot, and so when we got there, I wanted ice cream. So I like McDonald's ice cream. It's about the only thing I like from McDonald's, but I like McDonald's ice cream, and so we stopped at McDonald's. I needed to use the restroom, so I went in, and uh, as I'm getting to the door, I realize there's an older lady that's, that is not moving very quickly, and, and, uh, and I'm, you know... I was far enough away, she's probably 20 feet from me, so, you know, I made it to the door first, and so I, you know, I'm thinking, well, I, you know, I could just go in, but, you know, modeling mercy, I should wait for her and open the door for her. Now, did she deserve that? No. I was at the door first, right? And first come, first serve. So I'm at the door first. Did she deserve it? No. But I'm going to give her even what she doesn't deserve. I'm going to wait for her to come in the door. And so I waited, and, and she came in, and her I think it was her daughter, I suppose, uh, behind her, and, and, uh, and they came in. I went in, used the restroom, come back, and, she, and this grandma is, is ordering. And, uh, and the daughter was already sitting down, so I'm, I'm just sitting there waiting, and it's kind of taking a little bit, so I'm kind of watching, and, and I look, and, and, and the cashier guy was like, well, it's, it, it's not enough. And so she reaches into her, her purse and pulls out, and, and she gives him like a million pennies, and she's like, is this enough? And so he's over there like counting all of these pennies, and he, he gets to the end, he's like, it's still not enough. And so, you know, she's a little bit distraught, and so she turns to go and talk to her daughter, and, and I look, and it's like, it's $3.20, and there's $2 on the counter. So I just set a dollar up there, and now, did she deserve that dollar? No. But see, mercy is giving someone something they don't deserve. And so she came back, and her daughter didn't have any, any more money, and the guy's like, well, someone gave, gave a dollar, so you, you have enough money now to, to, to get these drinks. They were ordering drinks. And she was just like blown away, because there wasn't anyone else in the room except her and me, so she was like, I'm guilty. So she looked around, she, I mean, she's like, oh man, thank you so much. Um, now... That caught me, you know, that cost me a dollar. Now, do you think it made her day? 
Absolutely. Did she deserve it? No. I deserved to be on the cross. But God gave me exactly what I don't deserve. Give me mercy. So then it was my turn. I went up and, and ordered my ice cream cone. And, uh, and I'm fully thinking, because there's no one behind me, so I'm thinking this cashier guy is going to turn. He's going to go straight to the ice cream machine because this is a super easy order. Uh, and he's going to grab a cone. What? We're talking 15, 10, 15 seconds, right? Coming back with an ice cream cone. Here you go. Enjoy that. Have a great day, sir. It's going to be awesome. So I'm watching him, and he goes off. But he's not getting my ice cream cone right away, so I, I, that's kind of strange. Okay, well, I'm sitting there waiting. Fifteen minutes later, I am running out of this. In fact, Jen texted me from the car, did you fall in? Because it's like, what in the world? I felt like giving him exactly what he deserved, which was a piece of my mind. Model mercy. Give people what they don't deserve. See, and, and at the end of that, I could have ruined his day, and he would have deserved it. And, and we could have gone about the rest of our day just kind of angry with one another. And, but see, modeling mercy takes us to a different place. So dads, if you're eating out, if you're going, you know, through a grocery line, Whatever it is, if you are constantly, constantly criticizing other people and you are modeling that for your children and you are treating people like jerks, then don't be surprised when your children turn around and teach and treat people like jerks because that's exactly what you've showed them to do. Even though you would tell them to love their neighbor as themselves, you didn't show it to them. And it honestly doesn't matter what you say it has everything to do with what you do. Model mercy. Modeling mercy for your children in the public square through service and generosity. Walking humbly with your God. Choose relationship over being right. But Eric, they don't have a clue. In many places, in many respects, you're exactly right. But there's going to be so many opportunities where you can have one or these, one or the others of these, but you can't have both. You can stand in your corner and you can be right and you probably will be, but you won't have a relationship with your children. So Jesus modeled this for us, again, instead of just being right, he didn't come to just tell us everything that we had done wrong, and if he had, he would have been exactly right. He chose relationship. 
And it is agonizingly difficult, depending on what your temperament is. And, and uh, you know, my youngest son is in the room, I think, somewhere here this morning. His temperament and my temperament are vastly different. And I could have crushed him, and my temperament would want to crush him to do what is right to do the right thing, and what I think is right is that your room should be perfectly clean, that you should want to come home and be motivated to do your homework, and as soon as you get home, that you don't sleep in, that you get up, how in the world could you sleep that long, and do all of those things, because those are the right things to do. And I could have crushed him, and I would have been right. But we, we wouldn't have this. Jesus-style leadership. The only reason we have this relationship that we have is because I learned along the way in church that I could choose one of these two, but sometimes I can't have them both. Now, as he's leaving the house, there's a lot of things he doesn't know. And I think he's like, oh no, I might need to know. And I hope he doesn't come to his dad and say, dad, you never taught me. <laughs> yeah, I chose this instead. And he'll learn those things as he goes. Choose relationship over being right. Power down when everything in you kind of wants to power up. Jesus-style leadership says, okay, I'm going to use wisdom in approach. And powering up every time mm, doesn't end well, and it's not going to get me to the goal where I want to go in my eulogy values. So take a good hard look in the mirror. Before I say something, before I do something, what was modeled for me might need to be completely different than the situation that I'm about to handle that was similar, and this is how my dad would have done it, but Jesus' values are different. And so I need to look in the mirror before I approach it. Walking humbly with your God. Date your daughters. Date your daughters. You're like, my daughter's growing up. I don't care. It's never too late. Take, take her out. She'll love it. Date your daughter. Show your daughter what it looks like to have a godly man. Show her what it looks like of how a godly man should treat her. And I gotta just kinda give you a heads up. This might involve going to Claire's, which is one of the scariest places on the planet. So when I would take, I took Jessica on, on these daddy-daughter dates and we always ended up at Claire's. And... I could, you know, she was too young. I couldn't be like, you go in and I'll wait out here. So I had to go in there. 
And I'm telling you what, being, being a Jesus-style leader isn't for sissies, because, I mean, guys, you got to go in there. And it's one of the scariest places on the planet. So you just need to be aware. At least we went to Claire's and we didn't have to go in the candle store. That might have been a little too much. I don't know. But date your daughters. Challenge your sons. Challenge your sons. See, your sons, they're going to want to get to sixth grade and they kind of start into that, you know, puberty stage. And they're sixth grade. They're kind of king of elementary and they kind of think they got it going on. And you need to show them how to power down instead of powering up. And because the next year they're seventh graders and they're kind of at the bottom of the heap again. But then the next year they're eighth graders and they're kind of thinking, oh man, we, we kind of got it going on again. But see, then the next year they're freshmen. And they hate how the seniors and the upperclassmen treat them. But by the time they're upperclassmen, they have completely forgotten how they were treated and how much they hated that. And so when they become the upperclassmen, they want to use the culture style of leadership to put their thumb on the underclassmen instead of Jesus style leadership that they use their power and their position to come underneath the freshmen and actually lift them up and treat them with respect and treat them in a way that they're like, what in the world is going on? Challenge them. In the same way that God is calling you to lead with Jesus-style leadership, you can model it and challenge your sons to do the same exact thing. Date your daughters. Challenge your son. Love your wife. It may be the greatest gift you can give your children to love your wife well to show them what that looks like, to love her the way Jesus loves the church, to come underneath her and put her thing above yours, to put what's most important to her above what's most important to you, to be willing to die for her, literally and in ways that it causes things to die for you put her deal first. And in so doing, you will be able to say what Solomon says in Proverbs 23, verse 24. The father of godly children has cause for joy. Because any home that's characterized by these values brings great joy. What a pleasure to have children who are wise. They have a healthy view of God, a healthy view of themselves, and a healthy view of others. It's a crossing. May we be a church that leads the way in what this looks like. May we model it and teach it for the next generation of men who may be growing up right now without a father an absent father, a father that powers up and puts their thumb on rather than Jesus-style leadership, we have an incredible opportunity. May we step into it as messy as it will be, and it will be messy. May we be a church 
that is willing to roll our sleeves up and model the way. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us. Jesus, thank you for showing us the way. You lead in such a way that it's so easy to follow. It's, it's like, man, I, I, Jesus, you, you give us no, no reason why we would want to just rebel against you and push you away. So, Father, I pray that that the guys in this room and the ones who are watching who are fathers right now and hope to be in the future, they would begin to model this. They would begin to have the courage to make what's really some hard decisions. I pray you'd give them the courage to do it. In Jesus' name.